I think what we need to understand is that the parables are about finding something that was lost. And when you find it, you share with the community joy. It is a celebration. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow in your faith. This podcast is designed for people who want to know what they believe and why they believe it, people who are looking for coaching and how to think for themselves and answer their own questions about their faith. We live in a world that is so shallow that when life gets tough, shallow answers just don't cut the mustard anymore. Cut the mustard. So we are here to help you really dive deep into your faith and your critical thinking skills. My name is Jesse Mayer, but we cannot do the Salty Pastor podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. <laughs> Douglas Peake. Well, everybody, it's so good to have Jesse back last week. You were with me solo one day and uh, with my son one day. And we had a great time, but it's always good to have you back. I'm here. I might sound a little gruffer than normal. Those Gruff. 88, those 88 fourth and fifth graders, one of them had something, and they decided to share <laughs> it with me. That That's life when you're the dean of an elementary school camp. Yes, that is how it goes. So it was worth it. It was wonderful. It was yes. a huge blessing. And we talked about some of the parables we've been talking about. Sweet. So I had more insight, and everybody, all the counselors were like, wow, you have some very deep insights on these parables. I'm like, well, I've been hosting a podcast where we've been talking hey, about them. I am a part of the Salty Pastor clan. I don't know if you know this, but I'm kind of mildly <laughs> internet famous. <laughs> Emphasize the word mildly. Mildly. Well, Pastor, we uh, talked about the prodigal son last week. Yes. Um, loved your uh uh, discussion on it. I listened in on the sermon and, and the podcast, oh, and that good. was great. But this week, we're moving on to a new parable. What are we talking about? The lost sheep yep, and the, the lost coin, the parable of the lost right? sheep and the lost coin, yeah, in the same chapter. And so that's recorded in Luke chapter 15. Yep. Um, and we were also in Luke 15 last week when we were talking about the prodigal son. Correct. So uh, we're just starting a little bit uh, earlier than the prodigal son because prodigal son starts on verse 11, right? Yeah. The, the, I thought it was important to kind of separate them, even though this is one event. And last week, uh, we talked about this is that verses one and two, and you know, I'll have you read them here in a second, but it basically says you had this gathering of people together, right? You had tax collectors and sinners. And then what you did is you had scribes and Pharisees, and they're all together, and the scribes and Pharisees are criticizing Jesus because he's hanging out with people who are non-religious, right? They're, they're not people who are they consider going to heaven these, or, or a part of God's covenantal promise. And so it, we talked a little bit about that on the prodigal son. Uh, last week, but that's kind of what's happening in, in all three parables are tied together with the same theme, but they all have a different flavor. And I thought that the prodigal son deserved its own attention, but we want to, to be a part of this discussion today as well. Absolutely. Well, let's dig in. Let me read the parable and uh, we'll go from there. So verse one of chapter 15. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near Jesus to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to complain, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he told them this parable saying, what man among you, if he had a hundred sheep and lost one of them, does not leave the other 99 in the open pasture and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. 
And when he has found it, he puts it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my sheep that was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. Mm. Verse 8 continues, Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels over... Uh, in the a joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Yeah, so these two parables are told, and then he finally caps them all off with the parable of the prodigal son. Now, I think what's really interesting here is the context, and that is, I said before, you have all these people listening, and they're from such divergent backgrounds. In in this society, it's really important to understand is this is not a gathering that would normally take place, if ever. Right. Okay? He, was, he was pulling together a very diverse group of people that do not usually eat or listen yeah, to teaching and, together. And as a matter of fact, they had laws that if you hung out with these different types of people, you would be considered unclean. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's really, it's hard for us to imagine in America today with the emphasis on, you know, like under our constitution, you know, all men are created equal declaration of independence that the ending of slavery, that's like, we don't have any class distinctions like that, but this society did, and they were extremely important. Uh, India is similar to that today with the caste system, with the caste system. Yeah. And that is like, if you want to get married in the, in, in, under the caste system, you can't marry anybody outside of your caste. As a matter of fact, you can't socialize with people outside of your caste. So Mm. it's really quite interesting. And, and, and in the same way, this is a similar reflection of that, but probably even more stringent. And Yet here they all were together, and the scribes and Pharisees, the righteous people, they thought they were righteous, were criticizing Jesus for hanging out with these people. And so we see three basic characters in, all, in these two parables, and it's really interesting. First of all, the shepherd, right? And then there's a sheep, and then there's his friends and neighbors, his community, right? Right. In the same way, you have a woman, similar to the shepherd, she, you have a coin, and then she has her community, her friends and neighbors, right? And I find what's really fascinating is that the point of both of these is the emphasis is on joy, right? And he says, they rejoiced when they found that which is lost. So let's kind of go through the basic thought structure of this. And whenever you want to try to dig into something, what you can do is you can just kind of break it down a little bit in order to see its significant parts. But if you want to be a critical thinker, one of the best things to do is try to isolate all of the logical steps that he makes. First of all, he says this, the woman or the shepherd owns something that has value. The shepherd has a sheep, that's value. Regardless of how smart the sheep is or whatever, right? The sheep is very valuable to the shepherd. The coin is very valuable to the woman. Number two, they lose it, 
right? Now, in the first one, you have a lost sheep. So who does the losing? Well, the sheep does. The sheep wanders, wanders off, off, right? And so kind of one of the things that's important to know is that, that in the New Testament, oftentimes Jesus refers to people as sheep. And this is a benevolent insult is what it is. Because anybody who's ever been around sheep knows that sheep are very dumb animals. And one of the things that sheep will do, particularly if you've ever been to Israel, is that a lot of these places where they will graze, and you've just been there recently, yeah. is it's really hilly and mountainous. Yeah. You know, a lot of people don't realize... It's not, a, it's not an even plain like no. you kind of think of livestock these days. Like if you're driving through America, you'll see all the cattle yeah. out on like a really even field. Flat ground. So it's like right. they wander off, you're like, oh, they're just over there by the yeah. fence. You can see them, you know, 10 miles away. But here, you have all these mountains and hills and all these kinds of things. One of the interesting things about sheep is that sheep are so unaware that all they care about is the next little thing of grass in front of them. They will eat themselves up onto a cliff. And this has happened before, you know, those real steep hills up there is that sheep will go up there and then there's no way to get down and then they will fall to their death. All because they were just chasing a little bit of grass. They don't look up and go, well, where am I? Is this day? They don't have any awareness. They're very unintelligent animals, unlike a dog or a cat or something. Well, I don't know. Uh, uh, a guy in our congregation was telling me up at the men's retreat, his dog ran off and wandered off onto a cliff. And he had oh to, he, luckily, there was a search and rescue team that was training in the area that ended up having to go rescue get his, his dog, dog. So he, off the side of a cliff. So, so I not, will not say that the dogs are necessarily really, always smart. smarter. Okay. Well, you've got these sheep that are doing this. And so the shepherd, then the sheep wanders off, right? Pursuing something, food or whatever that's right in front of itself. And then what happens is, this is what's really interesting, is they take action to find that which is lost. Because this thing has value, the shepherd is willing to leave the 99. And if you notice, he says, in the open pasture. So not leave them in danger. Like there's not wolves surrounding me. He's like, you know, I'm going to go run off and grab this other one. But there's a potential for that. You know, I mean, they're a little safer in the pasture, but if he leaves, you know, they're, they're a little exposed, you know, so he'll, he'll, but he's willing to take that risk because that one sheep is so valuable. Right. And so he goes out and he finds that sheep. And what he does is he then, once he finds it, He calls all of his family, you know, his neighbors, and he says, look, celebrate with me. And everybody's like, yeah, I mean, that happens a lot. We're happy when we find something of value that's lost, right? Yeah. And the same thing with a woman. Now, the coin doesn't go wandering off like a sheep, but it's something of great value to her. And so what does she do? It says she turns her whole house upside down until she finds it. She puts an effort. And I think the shepherd and her both, they... they put through effort and it's not easy. So if the sheep does wander off into a hilly area, it's again, not just a flat plane where he's just tromping across an open field. He's climbing up hills, looking for the lost sheep, right? Yeah. Same way with the woman. She's putting an effort of like, I've got to move all the stuff. I'm sweeping, I'm cleaning. I'm pulling things back away from the wall looking for this thing. It's not an easy task. It's, it's not easy. Something that requires effort and yeah. direction. It's very intentional. You know, I'm going to go after this and do it until I find it. You know, if you lose something that is not um, really valuable, then you kind of just go, eh, it'll well, show up or it'll show up or I don't care. But if it's something valuable, you know, you keep looking until you can find it. And that's really important. So I think 
what we need to understand is that the parables are about finding something that was lost. And when you find it, you share with the community joy. It is a celebration. Yeah. It does seem like the, the idea of like, I not just, Oh, I found my sheep, but Hey, I'm going to go and tell everybody that we found it and we're going to have a little party about it. Like that's a different, is that a cultural thing or is he just emphasizing the point that we should celebrate when those things are found? Yeah. Well, I, I think he goes to the next step, right? He said, what he's doing is he's tying into a natural reaction that we all would have, but then he ties into the notion that, that, okay, this is how heaven reacts when one sinner repents, right? Right. And so the comparison to the kingdom of God is that this is what brings God and heaven joy. And this is being told in front of scribes and Pharisees and scribes and Pharisees had basically cornered the market on what pleases God. Right. Right. And they said that a lot. Well, we need to please God and this is what God requires. And, you know, they were the ones who determined what that was, he says, but also he told this in front of the tax collectors and sinners. So everybody's listening. Everybody's listening in it. And what he's doing is he's revealing the heart of God and what brings joy to God. And what he's saying is it isn't religious observance. What it is, is it's lost things being found that are valuable. And what is valuable, I think, in this situation is people. And our society really struggles with this concept of being lost. Even though you look, you know, objectively, you know, this is what I hear all the time. And you can kind of comment on this is you look around at all of your friends and people, you know, that, you know, like when I was in college, I knew people, a lot of people all over the map. I had all kinds of friends, some Christians, some not. And you go, man, they're all lost, right? They're all doing things that even they would say, well, I'm not very proud of that, or that's not a good thing, or I'm so confused. I'm a mess. You know, it's like, uh, that line from Taylor Swift song now, you know, it's me, I'm the problem. Yes. It's me, <laughs> you know? So I think what's interesting about that is everybody sees everybody else around them with all this mess. Right. But no one wants to admit that they're lost. Yeah. And I mean, that comes down to a pride thing, obviously, of, you know, I don't want to say that I don't know what I'm doing and Mm -hmm. I can't figure this out. And two, it's the world doesn't, I mean, Satan's the great deceiver. He is convincing everyone that they aren't lost, right? It's this idea. I mean, it's almost kind of like it's, if you really think uh, it's a bad reference, but it's kind of a funny reference of there's an episode of The Office where uh, this gentleman is following his GPS without any adherence to looking around. And so yeah. at one point, the GPS basically tells him to turn into a lake, and he does, does it. He it. just, like, drives his car into the lake. And the world is telling these people, you're not lost, you're not lost. And they're so like, well, yeah. the world would never lie to me. I'm just going to keep following <laughs> it, and, the lake. and I'm driving into a lake, right? They All he had to do was look up and look around and go, yeah, that doesn't seem like a good idea, but he keeps being told, no, we know what's best for you. You should turn right here. And he drives into a lake. And so I think the world and a lot of people these days are kind of doing the same thing of, well, the world's not telling me I'm wrong. Therefore, I must not be wrong. So I'm yeah. just going to continue following this blindly and going into this. And they have convinced you that, you know, looking up or looking at a map or using your eyes 
is the wrong thing to do. And therefore, you should just blindly trust them and do whatever they tell you to do. Which is really interesting because, you know, I think part of the reason why people can't admit they're lost is because subconsciously, that means there is a north, a east, a south, and a they, west. If they if they accept that they're lost, they have to also admit that they're wrong and that there yeah. is truth and that there is right, and they would yeah. have to then adhere to it, right? Yeah, and I think that's the real struggle. In, because what, what people do is they totally misconstrue what being a Christian is. They totally misconstrue what salvation is. And the people who misconstrued it more than anybody else— now. In their defense, it was because what was written in the Old Testament, right? The Old Covenant. And the Old Covenant, the Jewish law, was told them this, right? And then they had almost 2,000 years of history of failure to keep the covenant and the prophets would come and what would the prophets do? They would say, you violated the covenant and God's angry and you need to repent. And so they have all this history. And so they're thinking, wow, (laughs) what if we just comply and comply? And so they had a religion. And, but what's really interesting is religious observance across the board always basically says that salvation is up to you. Now, some people choose self-fulfillment as their religion. And that's what you see in America today. It's like, I'm not wrong. I'm not lost. I'm just trying to find my true identity, which of course is a deception in and of itself, by pursuing whatever desire or want I have. My personal happiness is what's most important. But what's so interesting is when you pursue your personal happiness, you're never happy, right? When you pursue your own wants and desires, you're isolated, narcissistic, and alone. When isn't that interesting? You yeah. know, uh, you know, you can say I need friends, but if you're a horrible friend, right? You don't have any friends, and so it's just it's such a it's such an easy trap to fall in. But on everybody looks at it and goes, "Wow, that's not good." A lot of people say, "Well, I need to feel better, so I'm going to drink." But all your friends turn around and go, "Dude, you need to quit drinking. It's ruining your life." Right. right? And so we see this happening, but that's a religious pursuit called the religion of self-fulfillment. Then you have really strict religious observance, right? You have people today that uh, uh, pursue all kinds of religions, you know, in order, and it's all, it's a moralistic thing. And that is, I have to follow this and then I'll get God's blessing. And what Jesus says in this parable is he says to the scribes and Pharisees in particular, Your observance is not going to bring you any joy. That's not what heaven is excited about. And in the Old Testament, we even see glimmers of this. Uh, In the Psalms, it, it quotes God as saying, sacrifice and offering I don't desire. You know, it's not compliance I'm looking for. It's a broken and contrite heart. In other words, I miss you. I want to be in relationship with you, God, in your presence. So we see that theme coming up in the prodigal son that we talked about last week uh, in the next parable he tells. So you can see that the issue here is not finding a religion, but finding a relationship with the living God. Well, and I think, I mean, that's what's so hard about God was calling them back over and over about about this throughout the the old testament they just weren't seeing it and then god goes silent because that's the other thing is 
God has been silent when Jesus is telling this parable. He's been silent for 400, 400 years. years. You haven't had any prophets saying, hey, you guys aren't really, you don't get why you're doing these things anymore. And, right. and Jesus talks about that constantly. He's like, you don't understand why you're even doing these things anymore. You're just following the rules to follow the rules. Right. And it's not the point that God ever wanted for you. Like this was never the design. It's just what we've been doing to, to, at, until I come. Yeah. And right. I don't think people are very, you know, and this is the issue is that if you're in the shallow end of the pool, if you're shallow, you know, you're just looking for a quote or a statement that helps you feel better. But if you want to swim out into the deep water, if you want to get deep into the pool, you, you have to start asking yourself, why do I do what I do? Why do I feel the way I feel? Why do I think the things I think? And you know, what is my behavior telling me? And this, what's really interesting is some of the most deep people I've ever met are people who have recovered from addictions, right? Cause they have to do a deep dive on what drives them and tempts them. And then they have to come up with techniques and strategies. And so some of the deepest thinkers and the most self-aware people are, are people who've recovered and they're in sobriety. You know, I remember talking to one guy, he he's been, he got his, like his 25 year coin or something like that. And I mean, that's really quite remarkable, but he's, he's a real deep thinker. And it started with that. I have to evaluate why I do what why I do. And yeah. Why is this driving me? Why am I addicted? To th why do I get addicted to things? You know? And so you dig into that. And I think that brings a lot of, uh, freedom. And that's what, you know, is so interesting is Jesus says, look, a religion is going through the emotions, following rules, whether it's a self-fulfillment religion or it's a, uh, old covenant, Pharisee religion, it doesn't matter. It produces well, the same thing. And I mean, there's even some forms, there's some churches today that just want you to yeah. come and do the thing. Like I just went to a Catholic wedding and I felt like, I thought Jesus came to set us free from all of this. <laughs> <laughs> right. Nothing against Catholicism. I mean, that's a whole different discussion, but I did feel like everyone that was in there, I'm like, do you have a relationship with God or do you just know the things that the the priest is supposed to be telling yeah. you to do. And I felt a very strong disconnect there. I was like, yeah. do you, do you have a relationship with God or do you have a relationship with your priest who then has a relationship with God? And, and he, Jesus came to set us free from that relationship. If that's the way you're connecting to God. And I think you need to be very careful if that's how you're approaching churches. Pastor Doug is the only way to connect it to God. And the things yeah. he says to you are the only way you talk with God, then it's like, you're, you're needing to reevaluate your faith at that point. That's well, and that's just so easy. And I think there's a lot of churches in America that, you know, apply that. And I think even in Roman Catholicism and in other denominations, I think what they do is that there's a lot of people that just, you know, they adopt a cultural form of Christianity, which is, I'm just going to follow the Moors. They're yeah. what I call moralists. And that is, uh, this faith brings a lot of really great morals. That's true. And there's a lot of philosophical and psychological truth to it. So even if you follow some of the principles, you're going to benefit from it. Right. Uh, I remember reading of this one guy who was a, uh, he was a multimillionaire, hundreds of millions of dollars. He wasn't quite a billionaire, but what's really interesting is he isn't a Christian and he isn't a believer. He's agnostic, you know, saying, well, I just don't know, but he attributes the growth of all his wealth to tithing. Interesting. Yeah. 
So I was reading this fascinating thing because his point was, is that, well, when I started tithing, it unlocked all of this, you know, momentum in my businesses. And so I don't want to stop. And so he gives it to Christian charities, you know, and, and denominations and things in chunks. But, you know, I mean, it's interesting when a non-believer is giving money away to make more money. Right. It's like, well, I'm just following the principle. So is there a pragmatic principle to giving and being generous and tithing? Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it certainly makes you a much better budgeter and money manager. Right. right? And, and so it did for him and he's practicing that you can apply forgiveness and not be a believer. You can f- apply forgiveness and reap the benefit of it. Right. You can apply. I mean, it just goes on and on and on about these types of things, but ultimately compliance or moralism is not the goal. It's a redeemed heart. When something is lost and then it becomes found. And the implication here is that the scribes and Pharisees were getting the message. Your observance doesn't bring any joy. What brings joy is the tax collectors and sinners who are sitting there listening to that when they repent. You see, it isn't God is joyful that you're lost. He's not joyful about that at all. What's he, but he's willing to pursue you when you're lost, right? Right. There's an old poem from a, a guy who uh, was an atheist, and then he became, he was an old English uh, poet and literature guy. And he was, ran away from God, you know, and he was an atheist for a long time. And then eventually he became a Christian, right? And he wrote a, a poem called The Hound of Heaven. And he says, the more I ran, you know, the more God pursued me, even into the most, you know, backwater and red light district areas of London and so forth. And so he describes how no matter how hard he tried to escape, the hound of heaven was always baying in the background, pursuing him. (laughs) And so, but God is not happy that people are lost. There's no joy in that. What there's joy in is when someone who's lost becomes found right it's the joys in the finding and i think that's what's really important is that our goal isn't you know and this is why at church uh at foothills one of the things that's interesting about the salty pastor is that at some churches not a lot but some churches spend their time telling people they're lost right they you know you're so lost you're so lost because you're doing these things and you're violating god's law and you're doing this fire and brimstone style yeah it's just that you know you're lost you're lost you're lost and you're bad you're bad you're bad you're lost you're lost you're lost um what i try to do is i ask people you know do you feel like you're lost and most people in honest moments would say well yeah i do feel i'm kind of lost and so well when you're found that's when heaven rejoices and that's what sets your heart free. So what's interesting is if you were a sinner and a tax collector sitting in this room, you've given up, right? Right. Because you've been told by the Pharisees, you know, you're unredeemable. Yeah. You've been canceled. You know, our cancel culture is really reflective of this. You know, as they go back, they find somebody that said something 25 years ago or when they were 15 years old and, you know, and guess what? The internet is forever now. And so they find that and then they get you fired or canceled and you can't ever work again in Hollywood or somewhere else. Right. And it's like one strike, you're out. Well, that, of course, is just so ridiculous. It seems to me that the most progressive ideologies are the least forgiving and gracious, Mm. right? 
They're the most judgmental and harsh. You have to think exactly like us or you're not a part. And so there's no tolerance. There's no forgiveness. And so the key is, is, is to help people let, admit their own lostness. And then here at Foothills, what we try to do is say, look, it's when you repent and when you turn, let me show you the value and the wonder and the beauty of turning to God and how God is the answer, even at the deepest levels. Uh, you won't be free till you turn to God. You won't be new until you turn to God. You won't find community until you turn to God. So at Foothills, we've had a tendency to be able to help a lot of people turn to God. And that's where the joy is. The greatest joy of all in heaven and here on earth is when lost things are found. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Pastor, for diving into these parables. I'm sure we're going to be talking even more about them on Thursday and why, how they apply to today's um, life and culture and, and your day-to-day -day life. Um, I just want to make sure you guys are all aware we are actually moving the Salty Pastor podcast to its own YouTube channel. Um, that will be fully complete. Um, all of the old episodes are already there, but we're going to stop posting them on the Foothills channel at the end of July. So make sure you go and like and subscribe the new channel so that you don't miss out on new episodes. But we're going to be starting posting on both moving forward. And then at the end of July, we will only be posting on that brand new Salty Pastor podcast um, YouTube channel. That way the Foothills channel has more space for the other things that are coming up and the amazing things that they are doing as well. Yes. So we are doing both. It is not that either is getting canceled or um, stopped doing, but instead we're trying to grow them both simultaneously. If you're interested in supporting the Salty Pastor podcast financially, but you don't go to Foothills, you can do that um, by going to the Foothills website, but there is an option under the give to donate directly to the Salty Pastor podcast. So if that is something that intrigues yes. you, you want to support us in our growth and what we're doing here on the podcast, you can do that as well. Thank you guys so much for joining us and we'll see you next time here on the Salty Pastor Podcast. Blessings.